This is Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer, where we set the table for Christian conversations that explore the Scripture, promote prayer, and seek to edify the body of Christ. For more information about Greenville House of Prayer or to contact us, please visit our website at ghopsc.org or connect with us on Facebook at Greenville House of Prayer. Now for today's broadcast. Welcome back to another episode of Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer. My name is Curtis Carr, and I am back with Jonathan Hill. Jonathan, glad to have you back. Good to be back, Uh, Curtis. um, Jonathan is the uh, South Carolina uh, representative, House of Representative District 8, which is the western part of Anderson County. We had a conversation, a previous episode, where we were talking a little bit more about his story and how he came into politics, as well as the call for the Christian involvement in politics and the responsibility of the citizen, Christian or unchristian, in our founding documents. Um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode when you get a chance. You can find all the archives of our broadcasts on our website at ghopsc.org or on most uh, major podcasting platforms. To find out more about Jonathan, you can visit his website at votehill. That's votehill.com, votehill.com. Uh, so, yeah, Jonathan, we were talking about in last episode, you know, the that the ultimate authority, ultimate law of the land is the U.S. Constitution, right. and the ultimate authority over the U.S. Constitution is the American people. That's right. right? Yep. We the people. And, you know, we kind of threw out there that we seem to be a, a long ways from that form of government and, right. and practice, at least. I mean, I'm sure everybody would ascribe to that, but in, in function and practice, you mentioned, you know, being up in, in Washington, D.C., and uh, was it 2008 era? Uh, I think 2010. Later. By the time they uh, passed the Obamacare bill, I was in the in the gallery there and and, and saw the vote go down and, and saw the applause on the House floor where they just literally were rubbing it in our faces, um, saying we're in charge of you. Yeah, that was that was the attitude, and it actually should be the other way around. So, you know, Curtis, several uh, over 200 years ago now, uh, when the Constitutional Convention created the Constitution as we know it today, and uh, Benjamin Franklin walks out of that out of that uh, event, and it was immediately accosted on the streets by a woman who who then asked him the famous question, "Mr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us?" And he says famously, "A republic, if you can keep it." And you know he had such a, a wry wit and sense of humor, but uh, Franklin, I'm pretty sure that Franklin had a lot more in mind when he said, "If you can keep it," than just voting in the presidential election, and that's what. Unfortunately, many people limit their political involvement, too. I, I was guilty of that. My family was guilty of that for many years. But I'm, I'm just thrilled that so many people are actually realizing what is possible, what they can do, and the fact that they have an, a moral obligation to themselves, to their families, to their neighbors, most importantly to God, to do their part. Yeah. And more and more, you know, Throughout South Carolina, even throughout the country, we're seeing people come out of the woodwork who have never been politically involved, and they're all asking the same question, what can I do? Yeah, no, that's—if you don't get anything else from, you know, this broadcast, ask that question, what can I do, or feel that burden of responsibility to to own your neighborhood, own what goes on in your your, your city council or your county councils on the state level— that before God, you will be held responsible, you know, that for what goes on in That's your right. community. Yep. And don't blame it on anyone else. You know, do do your part. And whether you change things or not, that's up to 
God, but are you being faithful to your responsibility in that fight or standing in that? Um, and, and I will say, I'll throw, prayer is extremely important in that. As a prayer ministry, we want to promote that. And you even mentioned the, the Constitutional Convention where they, right. they called a timeout and said, yes, we did. can't find agreement. we got to call a timeout, and we need to pray. We need mm-hmm. to beckon God for resolution here. And if we don't, we're not going to find it. And so prayer was essential to the beginning of our country, you know, right. praying to the Judeo-Christian God. They weren't play, praying to just a pluralistic God out there. They were, the God of the Bible was who they were praying to, and uh, and that was common, you know, right. common knowledge. People knew that. Uh, now it's all distorted. And <laughs> anyway, but my point is, prayer is important to being an advocate for change. We need to start with the place of prayer, but prayer is not just enough. Prayer should be a preparation and a catalyst for action as well. And so what are avenues, you know, how can we, you know, on the state level or the federal level, are we too far gone, you know, as a nation? You know, is that, that's, a, uh, I guess, within the realm of possibility. And if not, if we are, okay, we still should probably fight. Yeah. <laughs> if we're not, what are, what are some, what's your encouragement to us to, to get involved and to, say, yeah, we believe that's the founding of our country. We believe that the Constitution is the law of the land. We believe that people should be held accountable to that. But we feel powerless. You know, they've got they've got all the money. They're the ones signing the laws. They're the one that's commanding the police forces or the the military. You know, what do we do? And if if you protest and when people ask what can I do, I mean the 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 non answer is armed insurrection. I mean obviously I'm not yeah. advocating for that. And one of the key differences between us and the people that I've, I've referenced, like uh, you know the George Washingtons and the and the um, Thomas Jeffersons and the Benjamin Franklins of that day, you know, were forced to take up arms yeah. because they were left with no other choice. But understand, they had already appealed to the highest authority, and that was King George. There yeah. was no one was above him politically resort. that they could go to, and so they appealed to God Almighty in the Declaration of Independence, and they said. This is what we're going to do, and if he's going to fight a shooting war with us, then we're we're ready to fight it. Mm-hmm. If if King George is going to do that, that's not our situation today. We have yeah. so many blessings of U.S. politics. Um, in fact, those guys they were they were brilliant, but they were students of history. They understood that empires rise, empires fall, and their bigger challenge. So, <laughs> their first challenge was as a matter of survival. How do we? you know, fight and, and survive the fight with the most powerful, you know, military of the most powerful nation on earth at that time, which was mm-hmm. Great Britain. How do we survive that? How do we survive King George? And then second, how do we avoid becoming King George? That was the even bigger peril mm-hmm. that George Washington and everyone else faced as, as the first president. Can and, I just press pause on that? Yeah, yeah. They understood the nature of man. You they know, did. The fallen nature of man. And I think a lot of people in our present context— think we have an idealistic view of humanity thinking right. we just give them more money and power and you know they've got our best interests in mind not realizing the temptation that comes with that for even the best of men that that type of power and money and influence is really a dangerous thing it is but power in any form is a dangerous thing i mean yeah. that is that is the thing that drives cancel culture people think find themselves in possession of just even the tiniest bit of power over their neighbors and they're going to they're going to take it as far as they can take it yeah but you know our founders they they understood that our only possible chance at survival of the you know how do we stand the test of time 
they said, well, let's find a way to take those worst impulses that are inside uh, every human being and turn them against themselves, pit them against one another. And essentially they gave us a government where we started from a point of freedom, and then they gave us a government that's intended to deadlock itself, mm-hmm. that's intended to do nothing at all. I mean, there's there's a lot of hand-wringing that goes on in the media and elsewhere in in party circles that we can't get anything done. You know, Congress is deadlocked and, you know, and, and there's too much fighting and, and vitriol going on and, and all of this stuff. And there, you know, calls for unity and, and all of these things. But you got to understand that in the American Republic, that fractiousness is actually a feature. It is, it is a core feature. Mm-hmm. It is not a bug. Mm-hmm. It's what's kept America alive all this time because you don't want politicians getting things done. The things they want done is they want more of your money. They want more of your liberties. They want to tell you what to do. They want to tell you what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can, what medicine you can use, what medicine you can't use, who you can see, what you can say. You name it. They want to control every aspect of our lives. And so one of so many blessings of American politics is that the president, which gets so much attention these days, the president is only as relevant as the other two branches of government will allow him to be. So he's just one branch of a three-branch form of government. So you have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the courts, the judicial branch. And by the way, it is not the executive branch that is the most powerful. It's actually the legislative branch. And that's true at the federal level, and it's true in every state. The second thing is that the president himself is only as relevant as the states, or actually the federal government, rather, the federal government is only as relevant as the states themselves will allow it to mm-hmm. be. And that's enshrined in our Constitution. That's enshrined in our founders' understanding of how authority works, that authority is delegated, which, by the way, comes right out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And we, um, and, and so, you know, basically they created a Constitution where only the federal government gets to do certain things. Everything that's not named as a federal job is the role of the states or mm-hmm. of the individuals, and that's protected in the in the 10th and 9th Amendments, respectively. The right of the people to civil disobedience, by the way, is also a, a strong uh, biblical concept. You see civil disobedience throughout the Bible, all the, you know, from, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, mm-hmm. it may be that God will not deliver us from your hand, but it, even if he does not, we will not bow to your idol, mm-hmm. uh, O king. Uh, that was civil disobedience. Uh, Queen Esther... Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but regardless of what happens, I'm going to I'm going to take my life in my hands for the sake of my people, and I'm going to go into this king, even though I'm breaking custom in doing so. Peter and, and and John, you know, were strictly ordered not to preach the gospel, and they said, "You judge whether it's right for us to to do what you're saying or not, mm-hmm. but but we must obey God rather than men." And That's, that was under a much more authoritarian government, far more authoritarian, and it was not yes. set up as a government. But yeah. here's the key distinction, but the people. key distinction between then versus now. Then, the highest authority was the king. Yeah. Today, the highest authority is actually you. Yeah, yeah. And so don't give me this Romans 13 crap about, you know, we have to obey the government no matter what they say, because that is not at all what that passage means, and is certainly not what that passage means in the context of the American form of government. That's right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on that point. Yeah, I, well, I would agree 100% with that. If you're just tuning in, we are back with Representative Jonathan Hill from uh, District 8 at South Carolina House of Representatives. You can find more about Jonathan or get in touch with him directly by visiting his website at votehill.com. 
boathill.com. He's got an email address and phone number there if you'd like to talk more with him. Um, but we were just talking about our form of government and and how we the people are ultimately the authority in in the way that the founders set up this this government, this republic. And I think it's, you know, you were talking about the powers that were specifically given to the federal government and the ones that aren't are relegated to the states. And it, it would seem that, that that may be the case on paper, but in practice currently it doesn't seem to be the case, right? And so what I've wrestled with is like, what do we do? I mean, do you just, you can blow that trumpet as loud as you can, but it, it, is anybody listening, right? And yeah, does anybody I mean, care? And I, and I think there's yeah. got to be politicians who do. Right. They may be few and far but, uh, between, but there's politicians that do. But it, what, what else can we do to bring back to that? Right. Uh, and anyone who has had a political conversation with a politician is surely going to be asking themselves at this point, well, I tried that. They didn't listen. Mm-hmm. What do I do? What do you do when your when your elected officials don't listen? And obviously, there there are a number of things that can be done, but it starts with understanding that politics is actually not an ideas game. We think that politics is a is a is a situation where we go and we convince each other of the right thing to do or the best thing to do, and that is not at all the case. The uh, debates that happen in the Capitol, I'm telling you, Curtis, I've been there, done that. Everybody comes to those debates with their minds already made up. Everything that happens. With those debates, it is pure political theater, nothing less than that. I'm telling you. Yeah. Everybody comes up. It is extremely rare that someone changes their mind in the course of a, of a legislative debate. Wow. So, and, and politicians, they, they can be pretty hard-headed. I can be pretty hard-headed. You, you ask yeah. them what they think of me, and they'll tell you. Uh, like uh, a former colleague of mine, uh, who he's no longer in office, but he had such a way with words, and he pulled me aside one day, and he said, Jonathan, your head is as hard as anthracite coal. And then he had to go on to explain how <laughs> anthracite coal is the hardest form of coal. It's basically rock. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think that intransigence, stubbornness can be a real virtue if it's pointed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if we should be like Martin Luther, you know, we celebrate Reformation Day. I don't know if that's heresy in here to, to mention, <laughs> bring up Reformation yeah. Day. But, you know, Martin Luther famously stood and said, here I stand. I can do no other. Help me, God. So help me, God. Um, and, and that should be our attitude. Not that we never make a mistake. Not that we never consider or evaluate. I, I guarantee you, by the time he had said that, he had had much. He had spent much time in, in reflection, self-examination, uh, going back to the scriptures. And you know, we need to be um, open, but we also need to be solid on the things that we believe, and and be willing to face some adversity for it. So if if Having the conversation with your representative, I mean, is it, do we need to, what moves them is probably so numbers, political will. and Yes, yeah, numbers, yes yeah. numbers move them. Um, Curtis, because politics is not an ideas game, it's a numbers game. That's mm. what every politician mm. understands. Um, that's why, um, you know, uh, that's why polls happen. That's why elections happen. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, when you break it down, I, I don't really have time to go into the whole thing, but... You know, every politician knows that there is a tiny sliver of the population that actually decides any given election. Usually it's about 3% of the overall population, Hmm. which is an interesting number because it's been said that the American Revolution was fought and won by just 3% of the population. Um, And so it's it's an uh, extremely—what was it Sam Adams said? It it doesn't take a majority to prevail, but a 
tireless minority keen on setting brush fires in the in the minds of, of, of people. And so it takes people with courage. Now, it's a huge indictment. And going back to your original question of are we too far gone, it is a huge indictment on America when you look around and you don't see people standing up and leading the charge and you know, um, mobilizing their friends and neighbors against mm-hmm. the politicians that are doing the wrong things. Mm-hmm. That's a huge indictment because we were supposed to have, and, and we Christians should be foremost in, in this group of people who have courage. It says yeah. the, the righteous are bold as a lion. Yeah. The righteous strive with those who, who uh, despise the law. That's what the Proverbs says. And Yeah, cowardice is a... A right. sin and revelation. Right. And so it's an named, indictment on yeah. us. And and I don't know the answer to the question. Are we too far gone? Is America as we know it done? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. I'm not done. Oh, yeah. That's good. I'm not yeah. done. And neither should you. Yeah. Yeah, that's all ears. You know, if you're listening, I think I think that's regardless of what may come, we should still be fighting for what is right, what is just, what is true according to biblical standards, and we should be doing it courageously. And that doesn't just—don't spiritualize that. I think often in Christian communities we spiritualize, you know, living a godly life detached from the public square. And no, God wants us to be uh, doing good works in the public square and doing good works that you know people would see it and glorify Him and and that sometimes looks like good legislation. Well, and merely on the evil. basis of of loving your neighbor, which is the second greatest commandment, we would be compelled as Christians to get involved in politics because politics affects not That's only right. us but also our neighbors. Yeah. But it, it is even more fundamental than that, Curtis. And I I have such a burning desire for people and and especially pastors to to realize this, but the the gospel and politics are intrinsically connected. Mm-hmm. Let me explain. First of all, most people don't, maybe they, when, when you say politics, maybe they think of elections, maybe they think of politicians, maybe they think of the, the political process where we make laws and courts and all this stuff. Politics, pure and simple, when you boil it right down to it, it is a struggle over power. It's who's going to be in charge, who's going to rule whom. That is politics yeah. at its essence. You don't win without somebody else losing in the process. That's just the way it is. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So, well, can't we all just win? Can't we all just get along? <laughs> yeah, right. Here's the thing, though. When Jesus came to Earth, and he was asked, "Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not?" the the word the answer that he gave was not merely revolutionary. And they were looking for a revolutionary answer. They were looking mm-hmm. for Jesus to say, yes, we need to take up arms against Caesar today. Yeah, And they would have been ready to put the sword in his hand and say, all right, you lead us. They were ready for that. That's what they wanted. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And we read that in the 21st century, and we fail to ask, well, what does belong to Caesar and what does belong to God? And secondarily, who is Caesar in the American that's context? Right. Yep. And essentially what he's saying, this isn't, this isn't a passage that's primarily about paying your taxes. This is a passage that's primarily about obeying God at the cost of all else. He's, what he's saying is don't render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And that's exactly what Caesar was demanding in that day and time was that you bow and that Worship. you say that yeah. Caesar is Lord. Jesus, didn't, Jesus said, don't say that. Say Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. And if we believe that, that's got to be our starting point. Um, and, and, and that, I think what you, you mentioned, mm-hmm. the present application to uh, modern-day America, remember, it's not the government is Caesar. 
you know, that we are the authority right. in our it. form yep. of government. And and I've just been convicted that if if things happen in my day and time, I need to own it and that's take it. responsibility. That's, that's not, right. Not, might not, po- might not, not be your fault. Politician. That's right. Might yeah. not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. And so, you know, how do we how do we get here? We're here in the 21st century. I mean, clearly Christianity and the church had a bigger influence in the political process in days gone by in America. Um, you know, the, actually the, the American Revolution wasn't the shooting war. It was actually a revolution in the hearts and minds of, of people in churchgoers mm-hmm. in particular, led by pastors who later would become known as the Black Robed Regiment. But but anyway, the um, what we've got to... Let me just say, add this to yes. most... And most significant advancements in our political systems or in legislation, a lot of them were birthed out of the Christian community and pastors and leaders were, and yes. proclamations. I mean, the in, ending of slavery, you know, it, Civil War, yeah, but, I mean, there was abolitionists who were preaching and declaring and right. changing hearts and minds. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's one thing for us, you mentioned, you know, Politicians respond to numbers. They respond. They to, respond to numbers, and that is the, that. And that's because politics is a struggle over power. And the one thing that politicians want more than anything else, this is fundamental to human nature. You want reelection. Mm-hmm. You don't want to lose what you have. You want to gain more. And so, you know, we have that system of government. That that you know, our founders gave us that on purpose. That's how they pitted human self-interest against human self-interest. In order for the politician to get what they want, which is re-election, they have to give the people what they want. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that the people haven't been communicating what they want to those politicians, and they haven't done so in a convincing way. And this has never been more true than it has been in the Christian church. Um, as the church, especially evangelicals, have watched their political influence in America dwindle, it's been in no small degree to, you know, things like the moral majority movement, thing, which mm-hmm. was led by Jerry Falwell back in the 70s and 80s, you know, and, and, and things like that. And, and Christians began to, instead of, you know, previously, prior to Jerry Falwell, mid-70s and, and earlier, uh, evangelicals were split about in, in thirds, roughly. About a third would vote Republican, about a third would vote Democrat, and about a third could go either way, mm-hmm. uh, were, were swing. And... After Jerry Falwell, um, and the polls bear this out, eighty-five uh, percent of self-professed evangelicals consistently voted Republican. Now, some would look at that and say, "Well, that's that's a good thing." You know, we we got Christians to wake up to the fact that the Democrat Party is the party of of abortion, and voting for a Democrat is is wrong and 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 even sinful for for a Christian to do. We should never consider doing that, but we assume in saying something like that that voting Republican is always right, that voting Republican is always a good thing, and that the Republicans are the good guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you that that nothing could be further from the truth. And But but the effect of 85% of evangelicals voting consistently Republican has been this— Immediately, the Republican establishment sent all Christians to the back of the bus. You know, if there's, if you look around and you wonder why uh, the GOP cares more about what the log cabin Republicans think than what Christian pastors and, you know, Christian churchgoers think, it's 
this. It's that they know they don't have to earn your support, hmm. that you're going to vote for them, them accountable. no yeah. matter what, that hmm. you're going to vote for them. You're going to show up in November and vote for them because the alternative is that if I don't do this, that the Democrats going to go in and that would be worse. Hmm. So no matter how bad somebody like, you know, Senator Lindsey Graham might be for, you know, everything that we care about, you know, having the Democrat go in instead would be worse. Is that actually true? And I would argue that it's not. We think that it's true because we have believed the greatest lie in politics. The greatest lie in politics is this, that good people are obligated to support the lesser of two evils. Now, there's a number of reasons why that's not true, but in reality, the greater danger to freedom and liberty is actually the one that looks like the good guy, that sounds like the good guy, that says that he's the good guy. In other words, the Republican. You know, when, when somebody like Joe Biden goes in office, we're under no delusions, you know, as far mm-hmm. as what he's about, what he's trying to do. And as a result, people are, are willing to fight that. But when a Republican goes in office and starts doing the same things, then all of a sudden, well, he's our guy. We're not yeah. going to fight that. You know, or, or you excuse. we've got to we've got to ditch this attitude and this notion and 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 stop assuming that just because someone says they're a Republican, just like if someone says they're a Christian, doesn't make them a Christian. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're a, you know one that that fears God or or obeys God. And in fact, that is it is those people that pretend to be sheep, but are in reality wolves. That the Scripture has some of the harshest words in all of the pages of Scripture for those kinds of people. And it is those people that the Bible says, in spite of Jesus being a friend of sinners and in spite of our command to go out among them and, and teach all nations, baptizing and discipling them and all of these things, that nevertheless, those wolves in sheep's clothing, we're to separate them ourselves from them. We're not even so much as share a meal with them. Hmm. Strong words, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, if if we have to kind of the slogan we mentioned before, that principle over party or principle over uh, the political candidate, uh, that if we decide to choose for the lesser of two evils, which I've had to do in many times, we need to stand our ground and and hold that person accountable to maybe some of the promises they made or, you know, yeah, and, and my point option. here is that your the things you say and the things you do send a powerful and unmistakable message to the politicians. So if you want the politicians to change their ways, it's as simple as this. Send a different signal. Get involved. Yeah, and so that's our call. One, you know, just on behalf of, you know, of the Greenville House of Prayer and, and uh, what we represent, be engaged in the place of prayer, first and foremost. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for this country. But then get involved. Get off the sideline that we have a God-given responsibility that we'll be held accountable to on how we engage the public square. It's not—don't it's, don't relegate politics as, you know, a dirty business that only the world involves its hands in. The Christians need to be in, in the middle of it, shining light and speaking truth and seeing it redeemed as much as we can, at least at least fighting for that. We, you know, whether it happens or not, we need to stand our ground and That's fight right. for it and, and be involved. So we want to challenge you to do that. I encourage you you know, to get involved. If you want to learn more about Jonathan, you can uh, reach out to him by visiting his website at votehill.com, votehill.com. I want you to join back with us. We're going to be talking about a bill that he's uh, proposed um, H4046, the South Carolina Unborn Victims of Violence Act. We want to see abortion ended 
in our day and in our time. Uh, We encourage you to join with us next time. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's broadcast of Table Talk with the Greenville House of Prayer. We pray you've been encouraged and hope you'll join us next week as we continue to host Christian conversations that explore the scripture, promote prayer, and edify the body of Christ. For more information about Greenville House of Prayer or to contact us, please visit our website at ghopsc.org or connect with us on Facebook at the Greenville House of Prayer.